0: come on guys
1: we turned out okay the modern parents guide to old school parenting
0: i want to hang upside down from the swing set
1: welcome to we turned out okay with host karen Locke cole
0: i want to climb to the top of that tree
1: And now, here's your host, Karen Locke-Cole.
0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 212 of We Turned Out Okay?, And today is a weird one. Uh, It is a guest conversation, and it was always going to be a guest conversation, but I got super sick. Uh, I've been super sick with bronchitis, something I don't think I've ever had before. Uh, You can probably hear my voice is a little scratchy still, even though I'm like a week and a half out from this now. Um, And it just knocked me so incredibly flat that I've literally not... um, I have not been a podcaster for the last several weeks. And um, I, as a result, I was super happy to be able to bring you this particular episode. It's uh, one that, so at the end of 2017, I asked you for like, what are your favorites? And this one got multiple votes. Um, this conversation with Lisa Daly and Miriam Beloglowski, two early childhood education professors out in California. Um, it th- th- This was a fun one. I mean, it was so much more than just fun, but this podcast episode, like interviewing Lisa and Miriam was such fun for me because it's there right in my wheelhouse. I mean, like early childhood education is where I feel so comfortable and it was just so great to talk about kids' needs with with Lisa and Miriam and to hear some of their stories. They've got some absolutely great stories about uh, everything that has to do with young kids and and their behavior, why they do the things that they do, and how we can make it better. You know how we can we can make our home life better, but also how we can just have happier children and as a result happier families. But there's a moment in this episode where you hear me. I think of it as becoming speechless. I mean, I, I think what happens is I I don't actually end up becoming speechless, but my brain sort of does not compute some of the stuff that Lisa and Miriam are saying. Um, It's astounding to me that we, so that, that part of the conversation is about uh, adults now who have come up in our education system and how, um, how the lack of play when they were children has made it so that they are not Functioning, fully functioning adults, and I just am blown away by this. I mean, I, I, uh, it's a moment that I, I still think about a lot. This episode was recorded like a year ago, and I still, um, I, I still think about it because it, it helped me to realize that there are real families struggling right now uh, to have their children come out all right, you know, be, be not just successful, but happy as, as, as adults, you know, to live fulfilled lives. And um, we are seeing examples, Miriam and Lisa in their, in their respective uh, early childhood education programs are seeing adults in the, you know, kids, college students taking their classes who don't, who are not fully functioning. And, and, and how can you be a fulfilled? happy person when you are not fully functioning. And, um, I I won't say any more about it. I just wanted to kind of let you guys know one of my favorite things about this episode is highlighting that and, and how you listening, you've got a chance. You've got the only chance to, to take your child's life and make it fulfilled and happy. And, um, and that sometimes I guess I would, I would just, you know, the last thing I would say about this is, we oftentimes will take sort of the authority figures in, in our children's lives, teachers, administrators, childcare providers, and we will say, well, I guess they know best because they, uh, you know, they've got this experience and they've got the, the, um, you know, the years of, of, of experience in, in teaching. And, and I would ask you to, if you are, if, if a, if an administrator or a teacher or a childcare, you know, or a babysitter or an in-law or a good I mean, your own parents, you know, if somebody in authority is saying to you, you know, well, you just have to do it this way because this is how it's done. And, uh, if that means a child that if, if that means that your child is not getting the kind of play needs that they need, um, if you're seeing disciplinary issues and you're seeing a child who's clearly not well, I, I would ask you to stand up to that authority and, and talk back to them and say, listen, I'm seeing something that is concerning to me and uh, I'm not going to stand by while my child gets the, the life drummed out of them, the enthusiasm drummed out of them. And how can we, I think key is how can we work on this together? Right. Uh, and if you're, if you're struggling with that, come and talk to me, send me an email, uh, Karen at com weturnedoutokay.com or weturnedoutok.com slash contact. And, And maybe we can, we can figure out some constructive things for you to do together, because this is a serious, serious issue. And we are now in our, into our college, uh, systems are coming children who didn't play as children. I mean, kids, college students who didn't play as children and they are suffering now. So, um, so the other thing I wanted to just talk about briefly, um, before the episode is I have been, uh, it's it's coming up on 2 years since my book was published positive discipline ninja tactics and i um i i'm seeing it like you're purchasing it people who listen to the show are are buying it on amazon and um i recently set up a link on my own website where cuz i feel like if you're going to come to my website and you're going to learn a little bit more about me or you're going to um be there to you know just to kind of see what's going on in the we turned out okay universe. Um, if you're going to make that effort, I want to uh, be able to give you some kind of a you know a deal. So I've I've taken and and um, positive discipline ninja tactics is now available on my website um, for significantly less than it is available at Amazon and. You know, if you're struggling with figuring out the disciplinary issues, if you're having a hard time getting to the point where you can think about play and the good parts of childhood because you're just too busy, like dealing with a tantruming child or a whining child, or you feel frustrated because even when you say to yourself, I'm not going to shout this time, or I'm not going to spank this time, and you you just can't help it. I mean, Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics is is a great place to start for you, um, in terms of having tools in your toolbox to help. So I really recommend it if you're struggling. It's not, you know, it's not an expensive proposition, but it's something that... um can be really helpful and as I said you can get it for significantly less at my website we turned out okay.com slash book is the place to get it and I just wanted to leave you with a couple of reviews and this has been really fun like I haven't I haven't looked at these in in quite a while but in amazon there are uh, several reviews and I'm so grateful for every single one um I'm so appreciative when it is so neat to see people you know what they say about like me helping because that's, I mean, like the whole point of this is to get you help for uh, the toughest parts of raising young children so that you can get to those fun parts and those good parts and those happy parts. And um, so I just wanted to read you a couple uh, of these. And, And what's interesting too is quite a few of them. I don't know who, who these people are. And so it just like, these are people who are not known to me. They're, they're, "Quote strangers," although I, I sort of feel like, um, they're maybe just friends that I, I don't know yet, <laughs> right? They're friends I haven't met in person, but um, but I mean, eh, anyway, I, I guess I'll just I'll just read a couple and and um, just share what people found helpful. So so this person is is a, an Amazon customer and they titled it's a five star review and they titled it "Parents are not alone," and they write. Karen is an inspiration. Her book and her podcast help parents of young children know they're not alone in their struggles, nor do they have to endure their experience without some help. Thank you, Karen, for all of your good work. I mean, I get goosebumps reading something like that because that's exactly what I hope to do here. So here's kind of a reflection of what I what I most hope to share with you is is help, you know, and 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 the companionship knowing that you're not alone going through the things that that you know parents go through and and that your struggles are something that um you can get help with you don't have to live <laughs> in an unhappy <coughs> sorry um in an unhappy parenting arrangement in the in the or you know child rearing arrangement there are there are things you can do and so when i read something like that um it just makes me really feel grateful and um Like I'm on the right track, I guess. And, um, and then this next one is, uh, is from California transplant. It's called helpful tips and tools. And I love this one because, uh, there's, they specifically reference like actual kids. So, okay, here it is. Positive discipline has helped me improve my relationship with my daughters. It's particularly helpful for my six-year-old who is still having tantrums over things like what color plate her food is on. Thanks, Karen. And I, um, I'm so like, I love that one because it's like a specific, I'm sure that if you have a child, you have a child who's had a fit over something that seems to us like ridiculous, like what color plate their food is on. And, um, you know, if this is, if this is something that can be helpful, the podcast can be helpful, or if the book can be helpful, I'm, I'm so, so grateful that it can. And, um, and that that person is is able to get help. And I'm just going to read one more. Um, it says it's from JM and uh, it says awesome and useful immediately. And these are five star reviews, by the way. Um, awesome and useful immediately. This book provides tools you can use immediately to help you better communicate and relate to your young child or children. Loved it. Um, I mean... I love exclamation points. If you ever go to my website and you read like a blog, well, the so the podcast episodes are hosted on a blog in a blog format. So in other words, if you go to com, what you'll see is like um each episode kind of drops on a certain day and it looks just like a blog. The only difference is that you can go down to the bottom of each post and you can uh hit the triangular play button. And you can actually listen to the, to the podcast right there if you want to. um, And, and I try, I get, I'm so enthusiastic and, you know, this is something that I know so well, like, like how to help you know, you have a happier life with your young child. And so I, I do tend to use a lot of exclamation points. And so when somebody uses exclamation points in a review about me, it just makes me really happy. (laughs) So, um, so thank you for those. I, um, I just wanted to highlight this book a little bit since I can't, I I'm not up for an hour long conversation and, um, I'm bringing you something that I think, uh, is going to be a good, you know, a good, a good listen for you. I just thought if you wanted to go deeper, um, and, and learn about some tools that, that, that parents have been finding really, really useful. Well, here's a place where you can go. It's we turned weturnedoutokay.com slash books. And, um, I just want to say, you know, thanks to you for listening. Um, thanks. If you were one of these reviewers, thank you so very much. If you, if you've reviewed the podcast or if you've reviewed the book, um, elsewhere, I just, I'm so, so grateful to you. Um, and mostly I'm grateful that you're here with me and that you get to listen along. Um, and I love this too, cause now I get to listen to my conversation. So now I'm going to, I'm going to have my mom hat on, right. And I'm going to be, um, able to listen back and, and learn again, because a lot of times listening a second time can be super helpful in terms of, um, helping that information sink in so so here we go all right thank you so much for listening and uh here come lisa and miriam and enjoy it and i will see you next week um, when i no longer have bronchitis all right cheers bye Every guest on our show has something important to contribute, but today's guests take that to a whole different level. Through years of working with children and educating the people who will teach young children, they've learned a thing or two about what makes little kids tick. Together, they are the authors of several books, one on how young children learn and the others on how to enhance children's learning through giving them lots of time for open-ended play. I'm going to do this a little bit differently today because I want you to identify which voice goes with which guest. So, one of my guests is a professor of early childhood education at Folsom Lake College in Folsom, California, and comes to the mic today with more than 30 years experience as an early childhood teacher, director, and educator. She was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, and grew up in Colorado, and among the items on her bucket list are to visit is to visit every national park on the, in the country and also to hike the John Weir Trail. Please welcome Lisa Daly.
2: Oh, good afternoon, Karen. I'm delighted to be here with you and your audience this afternoon. It's
0: really, really good to hear your voice. So everybody, that's Lisa's voice. (laughs) And my other guest today is a professor of early childhood education at Cosumnes River College in Sacramento, California, and brings to the mic her expertise in advising and guiding students, something she's done for more than 25 years. She was born and raised in Mexico, relocated to the States at age 21, and shares my desire to visit Reggio Emilia, Italy, for reasons which I'm sure we'll get into during our conversation today. Please welcome Miriam Beloglovsky. Welcome Miriam.
3: Thank you, Karen. This is very exciting.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm personally this is like exactly my wheelhouse, so I am so excited. And it's good to hear I can hear the excitement in your voices as well. So, Lisa, what is the John Muir Trail and why do you want to hike that one specifically? I, I this really resonated with me when I when I found out that you're a hiker as well. Mm.
2: I just um, have a passion for the outdoors. I love to be in nature. Um, There's a spirituality and just um, a wholeness, a completeness when you're in nature and the beauty. And um, I just would like to hike um, the Sierras and just go through the trail and and start. And um, we live um, next to a state park Oh. Um, in Sacramento, and I hike around the lake at the state park every day, and um, just absolutely like to be out in nature and do that that hiking. It just rejuvenates me and refuels me and clears my mind and just gives me a sense of sense when I'm out there.
0: Mm, I love it. I love it. I, I don't have, I didn't grow up in Colorado, but my parents moved to Colorado about 20 years ago and they, live, they lived in Breckenridge for quite a few years and now they live uh, in Silverthorne, which is still in Summit County. And I'm wondering, did you grow up anywhere around there or someplace different in Colorado?
2: I grew up in Inglewood, which is a suburb of Denver. Yep,
0: yep, I've heard of it. And
2: went to the University of Northern Colorado, which is in Greeley. Mm -hmm. And my whole family now lives in Westcliff, Colorado, which is somewhat southwestern Colorado. It's between the Sangre de Cristo and the Wet Mountain Range at about 8,000 feet. So I still get back there to visit them every now and then.
0: So you come by your love of hiking very honestly. (laughs) So, Miriam, what, yes. what in the early childhood education world would make us both want to visit Reggio Emilia, Italy?
3: I think they, the schools of Reggio Emilia really understand who children are, and they have a very positive image of their ability and capacities. And that's a piece. And the other one is the artistic and aesthetic values that they
0: incorporate. And they have. So I learned when I was in now, this is a while ago when I was in graduate school. Uh, it was about, gosh, it was close to 20 years ago now. <laughs> I learned about like I took a whole semester in curriculum, different curriculum models. And one of them was called the Reggio Emilia model. And the schools there are, are really different from from a lot of other schools, certainly in Italy, but also over the country. And, and they've really become a model for, like, some really great ideas and ideals in, when we're talking about educating young children. Would, can, can either of you uh, talk about those a little bit? Like, the, the what's different about the Reggio Emilia model specifically? Um, well, the, the
3: school started by Loris Malaguzzi. Uh, during the Second World War as a way to help uh, families who were working or people that were going to war have a place for their children. So it's very Mm community-based. They have a lot of interest uh, from the community and a lot of support from the community. Um, They have a very holistic image of children as a protagonist of their own knowledge and they also have found a wonderful way to document their learning, as well as incorporating the arts that come from the community and increasing children's way of thinking. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well said. <laughs> and a lot of parent involvement, a lot like the parents are, they're in the school all the time, right? Am I remembering that correctly? That is correct. Yeah, which is, I think, I hope we'll get into this a little bit more, but I think that the idea of that can be very daunting to parents who are already really, really busy, <laughs> but the benefits of that, uh, at least in Reggio Emilia, um, are, are kind of amazing. So I, I do hope we can, we can get back to that a little bit. Uh, something that I heard all the time as a preschool teacher and you guys may, and so first of all, can I just apologize for keeping saying you guys? <laughs> <I've That's> gotten- <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> I, um, It's a bad habit that I've gotten into, and when I'm addressing two people, it's 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 easy to say that. I'm going to work hard not to anymore. But anyway, something that I heard all the time as a preschool teacher was, "They're so little. What difference can the stuff they're doing now possibly make? Like later on in their lives? After all, they'll never remember it." And to me, this always felt so diminishing, uh, both for the teachers of the young kids and for the children themselves. And I'm wondering, have you ever heard this kind of? argument, and and how, how would you address it if a parent were to say to you, eh, what's the point of, you know, helping them learn stuff now? They're going to forget it anyway. Mm. Well, I, I just want to say that it actually starts in utero, yeah. <laughs> and everything
2: is about relationships and building relationships and a sense of belonging and a sense of trust, and we start academic learning from relationships. And so all learning comes from children feeling safe and secure enough so that they can go out and explore and investigate and, and do problem solving. But they have to have experiences in order for concepts to make sense for them later on in life. Um, one of our dear friends and mentor was Bev Boz and she always talked about life being like having coat hooks, and that in order to really understand something, the coat hook is what you can hang information on, and so you have to have that solid base. If the coat hook wasn't there, the coat would just fall to the ground, Mm. and so that's the way it is with learning, too. In order for children to make sense of things later and to know how to read and how to write, they need to know what what they're reading about and Mm -hmm. so they need to know when something is sticky or slippery or when they get to science concepts later on they have to to know about gravity and about physics and about velocity and about force and so it's through you know building with blocks and constructing and doing ramps that they're going to learn all future concepts and I know lately we've been talking to some high school physics teachers and they are discouraged and having a hard time because they're seeing a group of adolescents coming into high school who have not played and tinkered as children. Mm
1: -hmm. And as
2: a result, they really are not understanding any of the physics concepts at all. And so, they're bringing play into the high school classrooms for them to tinker so that they can actually see, you know, how things work and how they operate and uh, we were talking to a friend who was saying that young engineers were coming into this university, and they had scored a perfect score on their math SATs, if you can believe that. That's quite they, an achievement. They didn't know how to handle a screwdriver. They didn't know how a screwdriver operated. And wow. so everything a child does now is the foundation and the basis for all future learning.
0: It's making me think of I don't know if you either of you have seen the movie elf uh, where there's a part in Elf where Santa says to Will Ferrell, listen, when you see gum on the streets, that's not free candy. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's never seen that, right? So he goes to the city, goes to New York, and he, what's the first thing he does? He starts pulling gum off of like banisters and stuff like that, because he doesn't know that that's, you know, it, it, clearly uh, the advice of Santa did not sink in, but it's the same, like that's really striking me that we, I I was not aware that there are, adolescents, teenagers, you know, young adults who who have such a limited experience of the world because they weren't exposed. I mean, gosh, that really brings it into very stark relief for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. just about yeah. the, the importance of... Well,
2: everything. I mean, um, we both are college professors and we're seeing students come who no longer seem to have passion or creativity or that out of that box thinking, okay. um, they're just very stifled and um, they just sit there waiting for instruction and it's like, you can go ahead, what are you going to do, and it's almost like they're frozen uh-huh. because they haven't had opportunities to to have that freedom and that creativity. and. This is the generation, I don't know about you, but I want people who are going to solve some of our problems that we have with the environment or illnesses, mm-hmm. and um, they have to be able to test their theories and ideas and hypotheses and come up with um, different things. I, it reminds me, too, when we do workshops um, about STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. Yeah, One of the things that we talk to participants about is there's a company in Southern California called JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, uh, several years back, they had a lot of engineers who retired, and so they started replacing them with the best and the brightest engineers coming from really prestigious universities, and they were not working out, and they couldn't figure out why. So, they did a research study and what they discovered is that they had not tinkered as children. Wow. So, they didn't have that ability to think out of the box and do the brainstorming and divergent thinking. You could give them a computation and they could solve it perfectly without any problem, but they didn't have that internal, intrinsic motivation to just be able to tinker and problem solve.
3: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also really interesting is that we're beginning to see the first generation of children who never played.
0: Yeah. That's a scary, just it saying is very that is that's a, that's a scary thing to say. A, a generation of children who've never played. No,
3: because wow. everything is so organized for them that they don't know the meaning of play yeah. and they cannot connect with it. So
0: it's going to, wow. it's, it's kind of a concern. Yeah. And I, so I have so many, gosh, there I've, at least two avenues I really want to try and pursue. One is, have you, I've either, have either of you ever heard of, or maybe you were involved in even, the crisis in the kindergarten, that huge, uh, it, for me it felt like a really sweeping study, but I actually think it was not. It was a, it was uh, done by people at the, at a couple of different teaching schools, and it was on either coast. And uh, the National Association for the Education of Young Children, like their entire board basically said, please world know about this study. And what, what the study found was that when they studied kindergarten children, they discovered that the kindergarten children at the time, so this is probably a decade or so ago now, didn't have any unstructured time. They went from structured activity to gym, to structured activity, to lining up for lunch, to structured activity of sitting down at lunch to, to there was no time for play, no recess, no, no free play. And, at the time they were saying oh my gosh this is incredibly scary like what are we going to end up with here and and i'm i'm wondering it seems like you both are kind of reporting that what we're ending up with is children who have have don't have have never played Uh,
3: i think we get to see them as they're older because you know teaching college they start coming to us Mm -hmm. and i had a one particular young man who could not understand anything about being creative because he had never had the opportunity to engage himself in the arts or just manipulating free materials or even play. And I kept asking him, what is your memory of play? He says, I don't even know what that means.
0: Wow. Wow.
3: And that was a big eye-opener to me because we are dealing with the young, I'll say, with these... But I would say these are the young people that are the product of the Not Child Left Behind Act.
0: Yes. <laughs> that act came into play just as I was leaving graduate school. And just as I started having my children, it was... I, that, I worked in a public preschool program or semi-public until I left in 2000 to go and have my sons. And I was starting to hear about the the negative effects of it as I left. And, and um, this is like gosh, this is like a big, I've got goosebumps. I mean, I, I did not realize that it had extended this far. And so, but I do have another question. This is the other avenue I was thinking about, which is, do you notice or is there any research that's been done on, is this a specific sort of class of people? Is it is it different uh, different socioeconomic levels of people or, or different? Do, are, is there any have you noticed any, you know, or do you have any ideas on that subject? Is, like, do, do poorer kids know how to play more than less poor kids or, or anything? No, it's interesting. And I'll just give you my anecdotal observation. Yeah.
2: Um, for me, I've, I have taught at, in different socioeconomic uh, venues and parents of upper class seem to be fine with play. Um, mm-hmm. They seem to be comfortable that their children, they trust their children, they know they're going to um, have lots of time for learning and they seem to be more relaxed, at least the parents that I've worked with. Um, and parents in the lower class seem to be okay with their children playing. Um, the ones that I see more are the ones that are in the middle, mm-hmm. that they want their children to do better or strive better or get that better score, to go to that better college. Or So for me, personally i've seen a lot more pushing kind of in that arena i don't know what's your experience it's, been Miriam? um i i think i would agree with
3: you lisa the one thing that we keep hearing all the time and i personally find it a little disconcerting is that we keep saying that children in lower socioeconomic areas are not coming prepared and so, so they're, they're not coming prepared to college academics okay. so we're pushing it down. More and more, and what we're not realizing is that high level of academics that we're trying to impose in young children is not helping them
0: wow. at all. Again, all another It's <laughs> is hurting. A mm-hmm. breathtaking statement. I mean, gosh, because because we know that parents are doing the things that they think are going to help their child succeed. I mean, they don't they don't set out to 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 hurt their their kids you know but but that i mean that really what a what a breathtaking gosh i feel like i'm going to need to talk to you both again just about that <laughs> <laughs> so i i really i guess i just continuing on this line a little bit um playing devil's advocate which i mean we've really gone over this but i i just I'm still, it's still blowing my mind. So I'm going to ask this next question, even though perhaps you've already answered it. But some people think it's better for kids to learn to sit at a desk and learn to read and write as early as possible, no matter what the kids themselves think of that idea. And Lisa and Miriam, what might you say to people, to parents who have that idea?
2: Stop it. I don't know. Just like immediately. and. It is so detrimental. Children instinctively, intrinsically know what to do. They just know how to be curious, and play and have fun and how to learn. They are scientists and investigators and we need to provide rich environments with lots of open-ended materials, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, yes. throughout uh, later on. But. Oh my goodness, it actually is doing more harm for the children. I, it's going to affect their social skills, their emotional skills, their intellectual skills. Um, there's just so much resource out there. We have so much evidence. Um, all of the work of Alison Goplik, who's uh, from Berkeley, mm-hmm. you know, the whole scientist in the crib and. Um, the neurons to neighborhood, all of that research that that's come out. You look at um, Doug Clemens. I mean, so everybody. Yes, yeah, Susan Newman. I mean, just everybody out there. A hundred percent supports children learning through play. You have the work of um, Stuart Brown, um, who's done a lot of work on play and is a play advocate. He's Yes. Wow. Um, it actually, if you look, children who don't play um, are more depressed.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: they are more isolated. They are mm-hmm. have harder time connecting with people and establishing relationships. Um, wow. It's just everything happens through, through play. And we often talk about this in our workshops, too, um, which is from Lillian Katz, who's a professor emeritus at... Urbana-Champaign in Illinois, but there's a difference between intellectual learning and academic learning, and academic learning is often what parents think of when they look back at their own schooling or for their own children, but the academic learning is the memorizing and the rotation, um, yeah. the, uh, rote, the rote, the rote, learning, rote you memory know, we, learning, we call it drill and kill, and yep. um, But that's where you're just repeating things over and over again or circle everything, that's the number three. And that is not how learning happens. Learning happens in a very holistic way, which is much much more on the intellectual side of the house. So the intellectual side of the house is hypothesizing and predicting and critical thinking and problem-solving and reflection. And all of those academic things on that academic side of the house will happen within the context of the intellectual learning.
0: Wow. But
2: the reverse is not true. Yes. If I only do the academic learning... A child is never going to learn to problem-solve or do critical thinking or be reflective. They're only going to learn to memorize facts. Mm -hmm. And that's the scary part. And so, when you're talking about someone just sitting at a desk and doing worksheets, and that's the academic side of the house. So, you are robbing them of that opportunity for their brain to grow and to develop. And to learn all of those important intellectual skills, which are really life skills.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So play produces or enhances, I suppose, produces really intellectual learning. Can we say That's that? Correct. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Um, wow. And
3: it's interesting, too, because we are just conducting some um, research on the use of open-ended materials or what we call loose parts. hmm which is a term coined by um, architect Simon Nicholson in 1971.
0: Oh, I wondered where that came from.
3: Yeah, it was co- coined by an architect, which is also very interesting. Yes. And what we have found through the preliminary findings of this research is that symbolic representation or symbolic thinking is skyrocketing. So children as young as, what do you say, Lisa, eight months old, Mm-hmm. Are beginning to use to, um, different objects to symbolically represent other objects that they may have observed in their environment. Wow. So that you're beginning to see a growth in their cognition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
3: a growth in their problem solving skills at a very, very young age.
0: Wow. And
3: the other exciting part that is part of this research is that we're beginning to see how teachers' dispositions are changing and they're more engaged in actual play and actually setting environments that are rich for play for young children. Oh
0: wonderful. So the opposite of drill and kill. <laughs> That's correct. For the littles. I really want to dig more into the idea of loose parts itself and also I want to dig into the idea of kids making choices for themselves, kind of kind of independent play. Uh, but first, I am going to bring a word from our sponsor. So if you guys don't mind uh, hanging back for just a quick minute and thinking on kids and choice, <laughs> and I will read this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by the Ninja Parenting Community. Every day, kids throw curveballs that really challenge us parents. If you're struggling to handle your child's negative behavior, advocate for your child, whether because of bullying or discipline problems or issues in school, bring the levels of peace and sanity up in your home, then the Ninja Parenting community is the place for you. It's where I help parents just like you discuss and solve these problems through parent coaching calls, through training courses and other resources, online resources, and through conversation in our forums. So go to weturnedoutok.com or Click the link in the show notes to find out more. And now back to the show. Thank you guys for letting me do that. So kids and choice. And actually, for me, the, the, it goes hand in hand with loose parts because I first learned of loose parts. I don't know if you guys knew this. Um, about, oh, I don't know, a year and a half ago now, I re- I happened to read an article in a local little paper here uh, on the East Coast. And it was about a woman named Tanya Trainer who runs three nursery mm-hmm. schools in... Westboro, Massachusetts, and she incorporated the loose parts philosophy. They needed to replace their playground equipment, and she was like – you know what, we don't have the money to replace it with these same big kind of structures. And I'm not sure that I love what the big structures do. Anyway, we get we get fighting while kids are waiting in line for the slide. And, you know, we when you only have one of something, there's a lot more opportunity for arguing and especially something like that where there's only one way to use it. You either go up the slide or down the slide. That's it. And so she she sort of looked around and she found your uh, philosophy. I'm not sure if she found your book at that point or if she actually spoke to you or whatever, but she started saying to the children, what sounds interesting to put out on the playground? And they and they ended up coming up with things like bricks and uh, tubes that you could run water through. And they had this, I actually got to interview Tanya in the kids' playground. And There was this rowboat, this plastic boat that was sitting, you know, in the playground area. And Tanya said at first the kids would use it. They would get in and they would play mariner type stuff. You know, they'd pretend they were sailing somewhere or whatever. And then it started to become a really interesting balancing tool for them. So this is just one example. While I was there, I could see the kids... They they came out to play. So I could see, I don't know, four or five of them would get into the rocking the boat and they would just rock it back and forth and and play with the balance of it. And, you know, they're lining up bricks and they're finding leaves and sticks and rocks and just all these wonderful outdoor things. And it was so cool to see the Loose Parts philosophy in action. And then when we, in our conversation tanya said to me will the children help choose these things we never put anything out here without asking them what they think about that and and i'm wondering does that come up for you guys do you do kids get to did kids help you formulate the loose parts philosophy that you came up with oh
2: absolutely i mean everything is based upon them that's the foundation i i was just smiling while you were talking is you're such a good storyteller, and I had this visual image of the <laughs> <That's> playground <right. laughs> and of the the children being captivated, and oh. just that everything was so magnetic. Though, so I was um, I was thinking about that, and I bet you didn't see. I bet you still saw some arguments and disagreement, but probably a lot more collaboration and cooperation mm-hmm. happening. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the standard play yard is you know. Trying to adhere to the rules and stop that and get down from there. And yes. it's like, well, when they don't have anything to do, of course they're going to uh, get in trouble. Yeah, just yeah. have a. What do you expect them to do on an asphalt playground where they can only ride a bicycle around a loop two times and then they have to get off and give it to someone someone else? But yeah. um, choice is certainly. Part of it comes just from our experience and wisdom as moms and as professors, and just knowing what children love and things that are more open ended that don't have a purpose. You mentioned the bricks or rocks or driftwood or sea glass or, or all of those boxes. Things. Yep. I mean, the list is endless, but. And we observe children, and we really watch them, and we look for what they're fascinated what they're interested in. And um, I'm not sure where I read this. This isn't my idea. But if you start observing for the verb, the action that children are doing, and not the noun, Mm -hmm. that you will start to find their interests. So for example they're not really interested in a ball per se but they're interested in the trajectory of the ball or throwing the ball or the rolling so what the ball can actually do yeah and so we watch children and we see if they're well we'll give you an example we had a little guy named arnie who was very good at throwing, very good, <laughs> <laughs> and his teacher was like, "I just can't stop him. I don't know what to do. He's going to hurt another teacher, another child, or the, be the teacher." Mm-hmm. And we said, "You know, Arnie has an interest in trajectory." Mm-hmm. And she's what? But like, he's fascinated with the arch of things and the force of things. And how can he throw it from up high or from down low or up close? And so what we need to do is think of what kinds of materials can we put in the environment to support Arnie's interest. And these were toddlers. He was about two. Mm-hmm. And they had a play loft. Now, just visualize a play loft in a toddler room is only like, 18 inches, inches or 24 inches off the ground. Yeah. And we put a basket of very soft items up there of yarn balls and wool, felted balls, oh, and yeah. hair hair scrunchies and bath loofahs and all kinds of things and just set the basket up there. Didn't say anything. And Arnie came into the classroom, he raced up the stairs of the loft, mm-hmm. and he just started tossing all of those items over. And he just it. Was what his body needed to do. It was a response to it. the The neat thing is, there was a little girl, and it was her first week at the program, and she stood at the base of the loft with her arms um, extended as if she was making a basketball hoop, oh, and he cool. started throwing them um, <laughs> through there. And I, you know, often we'll say to a child, "Well, what do you need?" You know, I don't. Do you want to share the story of uh, Michael and the swing? Oh, yes. Again, we're
3: very fortunate to have been mentored by that And we're very close now to to Michael Lehman, who's running the program. Mm -hmm. So he always shares stories with us. And there was this one little guy who there were no more swings because everybody was using them. So he wanted a swing. And Michael said, what do you need? And the the little guy says, I need rope. So they brought him the rope. What else Ah. do you need? And he went and got a little, um, like a little sawhorse that they have in the, in the playground. And he figured out how to tie the rope onto the sawhorse so that they could take it up to the beam. And this is just through questioning. So what do we do with the rope now? How do we put it together? Mm-hmm. So this little guy created his own swing oh. and he used it. <laughs> I love that. So uh, that begins to show you that they do know what they want. Mm-hmm. They also very capable of finding solutions to solve their needs, yeah, or to meet their needs. And it is up to us adults to take the time to question and ask them, um,
0: um, yeah, what else do you need. And that brings back b- brings me back to the idea of conflicts, right? There were reduced conflicts on Tanya Trainer's playground, Miss Tanya's nursery school's playgrounds, but there were still some conflicts, and that's important too, isn't it? Oh,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. Children need to negotiate,
0: and they need
2: to be able to state their own perspective, and to listen to other children's perspectives, and to compromise sometimes, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's part of
3: life, to listen to different points of view. And I think this is something that was introduced early on by Jean Piaget, where he talked that through discourse, through arguments, is where children enter that learning yeah. Where they can begin to acquire more cognitive information, which is very important. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And That's that the theory is theory of mind. Yeah, I like you guys are you just speaking my language with talking about Jean Piaget and some of these other uh early childhood kind of luminaries that you've been speaking about. It's so wonderful to be back in this world. <laughs> <laughs> I um I you know when I think about loose parts and I think about uh you well one of the things that you, you had mentioned, I, I've read this in in uh I think it was the publishers of your book kind of published uh a little interview with you guys and and you shared that friends and colleagues would bring loose parts to you and they'd be like, Check out what I found. Did do you, did that really happen?
2: Oh, it still <laughs> happened. <That's right. laughs> Love that. Um you know what I I want to share this because I thought this was fascinating. We were um, doing some photography at Folsom Lake College where I teach, and um, we were doing some outside photography, and people would walk by. It would be faculty, it would be classified staff, it would be a student, and they would engage in conversation with us, and they would be curious, like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. That's what I did as a child, and they Mm -hmm. all had a story to share with us. There's like this connectedness Mm -hmm. that happens. Our students get excited and like, oh, you're not going to believe what I found. You know, Mm -hmm. come and take a look at this. Um, Neighbors drop things off on my doorstep. You get them in the the mail. I get them in the mail. I. Oh, Aww. a year ago, I received a huge package from Colorado from my mom and dad, and I opened it up, and it was a box full of pine cones. Oh. I said, you know, we do have pine cones in California. And they said, yes, Lisa, but they're not Colorado pine cones. <laughs> pine cones. cones. <laughs> And um, I have a neighbor who belongs to several wine clubs, and he saves me, when he gets a shipment, it comes in this protective cardboard flat that is particularly good for construction and building. And so I'll open my door and there'll be a a pile of
0: those. Oh, that's awesome. But, and then do you, do you get to use those, you get to bring those things into your, do you have like a like a learning, like a child lab or something like that? I, for listeners, I, I, when I I went to UConn, I went to the University of Connecticut, and we, the place where teachers went to learn how to teach young children uh, in kindergarten or in preschool or in an infant room or a toddler room was called the UConn Child Labs. It's probably not called that anymore, because <laughs> it always seems to be kind of an odd name. But do you have a place like that?
3: We have at the Kasamnes. We still have a child development center,
2: mm-hmm. and at Folsom Lake College, um, I won't get political. We closed our child development center, oh. uh, and. We now have what we call a demonstration classroom, mm-hmm. and so it's an environment that's set up um, that has everything except for children. And so we take oh. students in there regularly to do demonstrations. And then Miriam and I are, um, are doing a little on the site consulting, which is not, not little. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: you're right. It is big. Um, which is actually a fascinating story. I don't know if we have time to to tell you that or not, but well, we were. Out. I'll give you the abridged version, okay. which is we were asked by the executive director of Head Start in our area if we would be willing to do three loose parts demonstration classrooms, uh, one for preschool, one for infants and toddlers, and one in a family child care environment, and so we did that two years ago. We took out probably 95% of all their toys, and we put loose parts in them. And this was through mentoring and coaching with the teachers. Mm -hmm. It was through family engagement, and the parents were Mm -hmm. very active. It was through community engagement, too. And we've transformed their environment, so they are all loose parts. And it has had such an impact on children's learning and development, on the teacher dispositions, and... We finished that contract, and we were asked to do another three programs. Mm -hmm. So we're doing um, three more programs, uh, preschool, infant, toddler, and family child care in another county.
0: Oh, wonderful.
2: But the transformation is unbelievable. So all the loose parts that end up on our doorsteps or that we find uh, end up in the environments where we're doing.
0: So that sounds wonderful. I mean, I, I really, I just want to say how sorry I am for the loss of the, of the child development center at Folsom Lake, because I'm sure that it was a, a a wonderful place and it's, it must hurt, but, um, but at least, you know, I can hear in your voices that it's fun for you to, to bring these things out to other other kids and other places and to know that that they'll get the benefit of that. So that's oh, absolutely that's good. So I'm, I'm thinking about the the parents listening to this conversation and I'm thinking about them because I have a feeling that one thing that's going through their minds is, as, as positive and exciting and thrilling as all the sounds and you're describing like really good changes that, that happen and not just in the kids, but you've said a couple of times that the teachers and the adults really get a lot out of this as well. But what if there are moms and dads of young children who are listening right now and what they're thinking is, oh, great, one more thing to try and build into my kid's life. <laughs> do, do, will, will bringing a loose parts philosophy into their homes complicate their lives? And do you feel why, I guess, I know you will feel that it's worth making this change, but, but why is it, is it worth making that change? I think if anything, it's going to stress distress them it de-stress them. These materials that are so
3: readily available. I mean, you have them at home. I have never met a child that doesn't open the kitchen cupboard and takes all the Tupperware out to start playing with them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or the soap bubbles in the sink or. Yes. Or in the bathtub. But
3: we have, when we do a family engagement or family conversations or trainings, What we get back from the parents is a sigh of relief that they don't need to go spend money on expensive toys Mm -hmm. to get the openness of thinking that children have when they play with loose parts. So this is not something that you mark up part of your schedule. I mean, if I was going to say anything to parents is deconstruct your schedule and let them just do loose part play.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: Because they're going to gain every single skill, knowledge, and disposition that they're going to need when they go to school.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, the idea of this, the little boy, I think it was Arnie, who was throwing yarn balls, um, like there are so many opportunities for little kids to get into trouble at home and if we can shape their environments so that there's nothing they can get in trouble with. Everything is okay. Like if they pull out the Tupperware, that's fine. That's what they're, they're into stacking right now and that's... I, you know that's a cool thing, um and then you don't have to get expensive toys to stack. You can just open up the Tupperware drawer and let them do that. <laughs> let them do thing. I think
2: it's okay if I share that we do have a contract to do uh, loose parts for families for family engagement. Oh no! Wait, both. like a book? A book, right? Oh, and how so- thrilling!
3: 2018, In 2018, 2018 19, I think, We don't know. When was, I don't know. I think it's 2018. <laughs> <laughs> We're, oh. we, we are just constantly writing, so we keep looking at each other and saying, one more.
0: Yeah, yeah. Another one, another one. <laughs> well, I am... I've got that a book should be
2: really neat for all of your listeners because it will have loose parts that are particularly good for to have in your kitchen, to have in your bathroom for oh, a nice. rainy, stormy day. Oh, I uh, love it. You know, if you're going to go on a road trip, you know, what
0: That's should you time. take
2: with you and, yeah. uh, so. Oh,
0: wow, that is that is good delightful. Ahead. I can't wait for that. <laughs> I'm going to I hope you'll you'll both come back on the show when when the book is out and we can have another good talk about it. Uh, we would love to.
3: And we have another one coming out in November this year. Oh, yeah. What's that one? That's loose Sparks, uh, Inspiring Culturally Sustainable Environments.
0: Oh, I love it. I'm putting it on. My, I'm going to write down right now. Inspiring Culturally... Sustainable Environments. Culturally Sustainable Environments. And uh, again, that will that will perhaps you guys could become a regular thing here on we turned out okay (laughs) because you just have so many good ideas that my listeners really really need to hear about that 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 all you out there in listener land need to know and I I hate to do it but I I have to uh we have got to cut this this conversation uh off right here because you have four minutes left before you ladies need to be out doing something else (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I want to say thank you so much, Miriam and Lisa, to both of you for, for coming on the show today and for sharing your enthusiasm and your knowledge with everybody out here who really needs to hear about it. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Mm. And listeners, you can get in touch with Lisa and Miriam by going to they have a website called reflective hyphen perspectives.com. If that feels like it's going to be crazy for you to remember, I will link to it in the show notes. No worries. And also, I believe it is Miriam who has the Twitter handle at reflective play on Twitter. Is that right? Am I right about that? That is correct. Yes. Okay, cool. So if you have questions for them, uh, direct them to those two places. If you um, want to get in touch with me, you can connect with me. I'm at Stone Age Techie on Twitter. I'm at we turned out okay on Instagram. And you can always go through good old fashioned email to Karen at we turned out okay.com or we turned out okay.com slash contact. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you feel like people you know in your world will get some value out of this show, please, please share it because that's how we expand our that's how we uh, get into more people's ears who really need to hear what we have to say over here. So, and finally, I have a special thanks to our producer, the 19 time winner of the husband of the year award, Benjamin Culp. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time.
1: Thank you for listening to we turned out. Okay. I want to dig to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com, where you'll find show notes and more.
3: What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese.
1: And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. To pee in the woods,
0: theater, theater, theater,
3: the theater,